This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Blaze Radio Network. And now, Chewing the Fat with Jeff Fisher. So Facebook has said that the report from Wall Street Journal saying that Instagram was uh, toxic for teens, they claim that is not true. You know, but we're going to go ahead and pause our Instagram for kids version that we were planning on doing. You know, sure, Wall Street Journal had that leaked document from 2019 that showed where Facebook acknowledged we make body image issues worse for one in three teens. So that doesn't prove anything. We're not toxic for teens. And sure, we were talking about having an Instagram for kids, you know, under 13. But we're going to go ahead and pause that for right now. (laughs) That's not the reason, though. Uh, That's not the reason at all. We're just putting it on hold for now because we've decided that it's not quite right. Okay? So don't start coming after me like that. Did I mention that TikTok now passes uh, a billion users per month a billion users per month on tiktok remember earlier this year we talked about the report from the bleeding edge and jeff brown where he talked about how the chinese owned bit dance or bite dance whatever they go by b-y-t-e-d-a-n-c-e dance Uh, was fined for violating child privacy laws here in the U.S. And it turns out, according to Jeff Brown and Bleeding Edge, that uh, it's even worse than what he was talking about a few months ago. Um, A researcher reverse-engineered TikTok and determined exactly what information was being sent back to ByteDance or BitDance. The app collects everything about the user's phone. It documents the phone's hardware specs and every app that's been downloaded. It pings the phone's GPS location roughly every 30 seconds. That means TikTok tracks exactly where all its users are at all times. TikTok also knows which Wi-Fi networks its users connect to. It documents the address of the router as well as every other device connected to each network. And if that wasn't, you know, scary enough, according to Jeff and his group, TikTok has written its software code to allow it to potentially, it's not saying that it could do that is doing it, it could potentially do it, uh, download software to Android phones and then run that software without the user's knowledge or consent. And the software could do anything, uh, malware or surveillance software, Pretty sure that's illegal, though. (laughs) So they wouldn't do that. Duh. And of course, the information all goes back to, I don't know, China. So uh, according to Jeff and Bleeding Edge, this is 
you know, way worse than, way worse, far worse uh, than anything Google or Facebook do. Hmm. Okay. We'll see about that. And we know that, uh, you know, TikTok is generating attention. Uh, India has banned it along with 58 other China-based apps. Indian officials went so far as to say that these apps were a direct threat to national security and defense. And we were looking into doing something like that with TikTok for about a minute in this country. And then that went away. So when people say, you should probably get rid of that TikTok and uh, use, you know, Instagram or Snapchat or Facebook, if you're going to use one of these social media apps, but not TikTok. Yeah, that that argument is out the window. Did I mention that TikTok has over a billion users a month? (laughs) Welcome. Welcome to Chewing the Fat. Oh, yeah. You know what that is? That is Moink Bacon. I know. Moinkbox.com slash Jeffy Bacon. Now, if you could only smell it, it would be even better. And you can do that by going to moinkbox.com slash Jeffy and signing up right now and you could make that happen. Moink delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, direct to your door while at the same time helping family farms become financially independent outside of big agriculture their animals are raised outdoors their fish swim wild in the ocean and moink meat is free of antibiotics hormones sugar and all that other junk you find in pre-packaged meat in the meat aisle sign up at moinkbox.com jeffy you're going to get a year of bacon for free at bacon, you heard sizzling in the frying pan. You could have it sizzling in your frying pan for a year from moinkbox.com slash Jeffy for free. Then you pick what meats you want delivered to your house, that very first box. You can change what you get each month, and you can, of course, cancel at any time. Moink was founded by an eighth-generation farmer who was featured on Shark Tank, uh, host Kevin O'Leary said it's the best bacon he's ever tasted. I don't disagree with that. And Jamie Simoff, creator of uh, Ring Video Doorbell, has invested in Moink. They guarantee you'll say, oink, oink, I'm just so happy I got Moink. Now, you may find that silly, but when you put that bacon in that frying pan and you hear it sizzling like that, you're just going to lean over the frying pan and hope not to get spattered with bacon and say, oink, oink, I'm just so happy I got moinked. Restaurant quality steaks can't be bought at the store. That's why you need to go to moinkbox.com. Join the moink movement today. Go to moinkbox.com slash Jeffy right now. And listeners to this show get free bacon for a year. That's one year of the best bacon you'll ever taste. For a limited time, go to moinkbox.com slash Jeffy right now. Spelled M-O-I-N-K box.com slash 
J-E-F-F-Y, moinkbox.com slash Jeffy. See you at the frying pan. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Let's get down to business. Moinkbox.com slash Jeffy. Now, I see this story, and it makes me question truthfulness. (laughs) There's a lot of stories that we read and that we talk about here on Chewing the Fat that makes one question truthfulness. This story. Almost half a million U.S. households lack indoor plumbing. The conditions, according to this headline, are the conditions are inhumane. Well, okay. All right. I guess I'll give you that. Now, they break down. They talk about San Francisco, and they talk about one lady and her seven-year-old daughter who live in a tight studio in San Francisco's Chinatown in a century-old building where 60 or so residents on each floor share a bathroom. So there's one bathroom on each floor. Uh, Okay. Uh, Along the back wall of the room is a plastic potty, the kind designed for toilet training toddlers. The shared bathrooms are out of order so often, uh, so rank and unhygienic that she usually, they're quoting this lady in the story, uses a plastic potty instead. It's safer and she uses it, you know, in her apartment, I guess, and then does a bathroom run at night, which is what people used to do. Remember the phrase, don't have a pot to piss in? Uh, That was uh, back in the day when there wasn't any plumbing, uh, you know, for everyone. And uh, I can remember my grandparents' farmhouse having an outhouse, not having a bathroom when I was a really little kid. I don't remember... I don't remember if they had a, you know, I should say this. I remember pictures of their old farmhouse with a, with a, uh, with an outhouse. Cause I don't remember using it but anyway. Uh, and I remember in my grandparents' home, uh, the one house that they had in the city where they had one bathroom, so many houses just had one bathroom. And, you know, it was two stories. They had a couple bedrooms upstairs. So if you stayed the night, you had a uh, night body where you would, uh, that you would use if you had to, you know, go to the bathroom and then you would bring it down and, you know, empty it in the morning, clean it in the morning because there was only one bathroom. Now you could go all the way downstairs in the middle of the night to use the bathroom, but why? <laughs> so they say in this story that half a million households lack basic indoor plumbing with renters and people of color in some of the country's wealthiest and fastest growing cities most likely to be living without running water or flushing toilets. Oh, okay, so they're most likely. Now there's a big long list of households without indoor plumbing in the 50 biggest U.S. cities. And number one appears to be San Francisco. They claim that there's 14,787 households without piped water. That's 0.9% of the population 
in San Francisco, 0.6% in Portland, 0.5% in Milwaukee and San Antonio, 0.4% goes all the way down from Austin, Cleveland, Los Angeles, Memphis, New Orleans, New York, Phoenix, Seattle, Nashville, Sacramento, Houston, Boston, Richmond, Riverside, Pittsburgh. Nope, Riverside's the last one. Pittsburgh is 0.3%. And you get 0.3% almost all the way down to the last two, four, six, seven cities. And that's 0.2% starting with Washington, D.C., Tampa, Charlotte, Hartford, Jacksonville, Indianapolis, Orlando, and all the other cities in between are, you know, pretty big cities. They have 0.3% with 3,000. Wow, Philadelphia. Uh, let's see, who has the most? San Francisco has the most with 14,000. No, I apologize, San Francisco. You're not number one. You're number one in the percentage of population, but you're not number one in population. Uh, New York is number one, of course, with uh, 26,931 people estimated households without piped water. San Francisco, Los Angeles has 17,586. Who has 9,000? There was one I saw that had 9,000. Chicago, right? All right. And there's a few that are 3,000. Detroit has... 5,000. Miami has over 7,000, according to this, estimated households without piped water. Man, that has got to, if this is true, and I know that this is, uh, you know, I'm not saying it's not true. I'm saying that it's probably less than truthful. I know that they blame this on unaffordable housing, declining incomes, post-recession transformations, uh, wealth gaps, black urbanization. It's all based on the racialization of America. According to this, black people made up 9% of San Francisco's population, but accounted for 17% of households without indoor plumbing. So they were 17% of the 0.9% of the people who didn't have Water, piped in water. <sighs> okay, you got me. I know that this has to do from research from the Plumbing Poverty Project, a collaboration between King's College of London and the University of Arizona. While some rural and indigenous communities have never had indoor plumbing, the vast majority of unplumbed Americans are in fact found in urban areas. I want to go, I don't ever remember in my life knowing someone who didn't have running water. I, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm not talking about camping or, you know, a cabin somewhere, but I don't remember anyone. I mean, we didn't have any money and we were living in, you know, a little crappy house with, you know, two bedrooms and one bathroom, but there was a toilet, a sink and a bathtub. And there was a kitchen sink to wash dishes in. Just, uh, I don't remember. There was a, 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 a faucet outside for a hose. So, I mean, we had running water. It wasn't unplumbed. And I don't remember. I, I, mean, we know all, I mean, I remember the first time I was in a house. I, I think. And they had two bathrooms. 
And now, my, now you're talking about living large. Uh, <laughs> now you're talking about America, my friends. Two bathrooms. Two bathrooms. You can't, nobody can live that good. No one could live that good. You can't even walk by a house. Well, I guess you can. In, in these places, you can walk by houses that don't have more than two bathrooms. But, uh, you know, some people, let me just say that some people can't walk through their neighborhoods without seeing a house with at least three or four bathrooms. <laughs> uh, you just go ahead and, you know, look through the uh, for sale lists in America. And, uh, boy, especially here in Texas, man. Wow, you can't, uh, you know, you can't, you look at houses and you're like, uh, oh my gosh, that only has three bathrooms. What? No, the house. No, that can't happen. We've got to have a couple upstairs and two downstairs. Out of your, out of your, out of your mind. What are we in caveman days? But apparently some places are, and it's really sad if this is true, but you'd think many of these buildings, like these buildings they talk about in San Francisco that have one bathroom on a floor that's, you know, that's back in the 1800s. Are we, have we not evolved past them? Where's the city inspectors? Where, I mean, I thought we were supposed to be checking out. We've got, they were shutting buildings down because they think they're going to crumble in, uh, in Miami, but we've got buildings in San Francisco that have one bathroom, a floor. Come on now. All right, let's go to the break room. I need something cold to drink desperately. Oh man, I got something out of a, <laughs> Something in my plumbed home. Oh, so good. All right. Speaking of uh, Coca-Cola Zero, I, you know, I talked yesterday about finding a couple of bottles that uh, were the old black labels, but uh, the cans are still are the new Coke Zero red labels for sure. But I got an email. Uh, yesterday, I got a couple emails actually that I'm going to refer to today. I, you know, I got several emails, obviously every freaking day at uh, chewingthefatattheblaze.com. But uh, this particular email from uh, Bill said, uh, "Jeffy, first twenty stars, best podcast ever." You can quote me on that. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate you listening. He uh, making sure that I know that he knows he's aware of the rules of uh, chewing the fat subscribership. But second, he said, "Be warned." Coke is pawning off all the old packaging. I thought I had found a cache of old stock. Turns out they used the old black box to put red cans in. Bastards. Six 12-packs. Keep up all the good work. I'll find it a suitable substitute for the Coke Zero. If you find a, a suitable substitute for Coke Zero, let us all know. Um... Uh, the new stuff is just not as refreshing. I know. Thank you. I, I know. Now, I will say this. That should be illegal. Coca-Cola. That should be illegal. And he had a picture of the packaging and the red cans in the packaging. So I have no reason to doubt him. There was actual photographic evidence. That should be illegal for Coca-Cola to be packaging their old Coke black zero boxes and putting the red cans in there that should be that, that should be against the law there should be an arrest made at coca-cola headquarters 
Absolutely. The other email I got from Helen said, uh, talking to me about the many saints of Newark, which is drops this Friday on HBO and at the theaters. And I'm excited. It's the prequel to the Sopranos. And I've gone on record as saying, I hate all the promos that continue with the Antonio Soprano. Cause it's not Antonio freaking Soprano. It was Anthony Soprano forever and ever during the HBO Sopranos series. Now, in this email, Helen goes on to say, way back many years ago, I lived in New York. I attended Catholic school. My classmates were Irish and Italian. In elementary school, the nuns called students by the name that they were given at baptism. Many of the Italian students had old world names. In some cases, their parents were first or second generation U.S. citizens. They chose names that were common in their family. So little Antonio went to school and was known as Antonio for eight years. Then came high school. The boys have grown a foot over summer. Their voices had changed. Surprisingly, their names had changed too. Antonio was now Anthony. He wanted to fit in. He wanted to have some distance from his immigrant family. He wanted to be white bread. Yes, a boy can start out as Antonio and become Anthony. And now you know the rest of the story, Helen. Helen, I hope you're correct. And I absolutely want them to address it in the movie. I hope that's true. That it was Antonio and he, you know, obviously changed. That was his, uh, that was his baptismal name or that was his name that he was given at birth and he hated it. And some guy called him Antonio and he killed him. And now he's Anthony. Okay, I'm okay with that. <laughs> but they better address it. I cannot take him being called Antonio through the whole movie and with no addressing it at all. That will not happen. I will burn the house down. Well, somebody else's house. I'm not going to burn my house down. And you know what I found out yesterday that I didn't even realize had dropped on Amazon was Goliath season four. I thought season three was the final season, especially since it you know, was with the COVID, but Billy Bob Thornton has uh, dropped on Amazon the latest Goliath series. There's eight episodes. What, I mean, it was such a great surprise. I couldn't believe I had missed it. And, uh, so if you, if you have not seen Goliath on Amazon, the first, I mean, every season has been great. The third season was, uh, really, really, really different. And this season is proving to be uh, a lot different as well. So, uh, if you haven't seen the series, start with season one and just knock them out because it's well worth it. Billy Bob Thornton is great and he's got a surrounding cast that is tremendous and uh, just enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. He's uh, he's an attorney and you know he has his own demons to struggle with. Speaking of demons as well, you know what else I saw that is incredible that I don't think will, it's not even going to come close to what the original was, but Tiger King season two. I know you thought, no, that's not possible. Yes, it's possible. Tiger King season two premieres November 17th on Netflix. Unbelievable. I mean, it was amazing. The rollout of Tiger King, it could not have been any better clearly the beginning of the pandemic uh everybody was at home concerned and there was tiger king for us to watch i mean i don't without the pandemic 
I don't believe I would have made it through the whole thing. And maybe that's not true either because I'm me. But it was tough to get through a few, a number of those episodes. And it really wasn't that good. But, you know, they show clips of our man in prison. So I don't know if the whole thing is going to be, you know, him narrating from prison. But it's coming out of Tiger King too, So there's something to look forward to. Right? Right. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at sax.com. All right, let's talk a little business, shall we? We touched last week on FedEx uh, rewouting, rerouting, if I could say it properly, uh, more than 600,000 business packages a day. It can't find enough workers to process them at some sites, so they're estimating their labor shortage is costing about $450 million a quarter. Wow, that is uh, incredible. And if it's affecting FedEx, it's affecting all delivery companies. They're uh, rerouting more than 600,000 business packages each day, which is just Amazing. So the competition for frontline workers for them have driven wages higher. Uh, the company spent around $7.8 billion on employee salaries and benefits in the quarter, up 13% from the same time period last year. They announced plans to hire another additional 90,000 workers for peak season. Good luck finding those 90,000. I mean, it used to be, hey, we're going we're gonna, to uh, hire an additional you know, tens of thousands of people for the holiday and everybody's knocking on the door. Now they're just hoping that people will show up and help them uh, meet the demand. You had uh, the United States Postal Service, which I wish they'd just call and put me in charge of this damn place. But uh, the mail delivery is, they're talking about it going to get slower So they're saying the U.S. Postal Service uh, is going to get even slower. They're going to implement new service standards for first-class mail and periodicals. And the changes mean an increased time in transit for mail delivering traveling long distances, such as New York to California. So most first-class mail, 61%, and periodicals, 93%, will be unaffected by the changes. Okay. A uh, single piece first class mail traveling within the same region will still have a delivery time of two days. But the Postal Service defines first class mail as a standard size lettered and flats. That's different from first class packages, which are typically used for shipping smaller, lightweight packages. Currently, first class mail and first class packages have the same delivery standards, but that is what's going to go ahead and start changing. Louis DeJoy, Postmaster General in March, you know, had this plan uh, drawn and it drew heavy criticism, but it looks like it's still going on. Um, 
I love in this story, the position of Postmaster General is not appointed or nominated by the president, but rather appointed by the Independent Postal Service Board of Governors. Yeah, and I want to know that these stories all are now saying this thanks to me, pointing it out. You, they, you are welcome for adding you to your knowledge of the world and the Postal Service. Because I always, I said all along, I wanted to be the Postmaster General. And then I found out that the Postmaster General answers to the board of governors that's who you want to be is one of the governors they can't i mean those those jobs are almost like the supreme court i mean once you're on the board of governors you're there and the postmaster general is doing what you say (laughs) postmaster general is just the guy out front but the board of governors is the people you want to be (laughs) i did a whole special on this and I just, you're welcome. That's all I'm saying. You're welcome. So they talk about how the Postal Service has been riddled with financial problems over the years. Yeah. That's why they should have put me in charge. I could have helped them through it. I still have some ideas and some plans that would help the Postal Service through it. I got it. But, you know, that no one seems to want to, you know, call me. And I've got plenty of ideas for the future. And... It's not going to be, you know, just looking at the backyard of those postal service. If you look at the backyard of those post offices, all you see is those old blue mailboxes. We need to, things need to change. All right. And there's no question. So some things need to change. And they all talk about, uh, you know, drive time greater than six hours is a problem. Unattainable forces rely on air transportation, unreliable service. Uh, you know, well, FedEx is still coming to the table and they're rerouting 600,000 packages a day and they're still coming to the table. And I know that the, the postal service, you know, they all go on about their business saying the mail never stops. It just continues on. Correct. It does. But there's some ways to help that along and just call me. That's all I'm asking. Just give me a call. Or you can email me chewing the fat at the blaze. Dot com. Or you know what? You can direct message me on Twitter at JeffyJFR. You can you can message me on Facebook or Instagram, Jeff Fisher Radio. You know, whatever you'd like. That's fine. You can leave a message for me on my YouTube channel, Chewing the Fat with Jeff Fisher. Whatever. Whatever you'd like. And I'll get back to you and I'll give you some of my ideas. You know, not for free. <laughs> I'm tired of giving my ideas away for free. And uh, let's go to Walmart. Walmart has a great idea. What's been one of the biggest, coolest things that Walmart has done over the years? I think it's make bring the layaway plan back. I love that. Uh, you know, over the holidays, people are able to lay away items and make payments on it so their kids can have the Christmas or the birthday or whatever the case is, whatever you're doing the layaway for. And then, you know, there's always... A few uh, few of those evil rich people that come along over the holidays and pay everybody's layaway and say Merry Christmas. And, you know, it helps me. It's been, it's been a special thing. Well, it's been so special that Walmart is going to go ahead and do away with the layaway now. Wait, what? Yeah, uh, we, we can't do that anymore. We weren't charging for it. And that's a buy now, pay later program. And, then, you know, now we're just we're going to get a, a program that is uh, we're going to charge people. You know, interest. We we have a deal with a firm 
that's a buy now, pay later service that we don't have to, we've partnered with them and we're just going to phase, uh, you know, phrase, phase out that layaway. It's, it's, it's just, we've had enough. Wait, what? Yeah. We're scrapping the layaway program. Wow. So times are getting tough. People are really struggling coming out of the other end of this pandemic. And we're going to take away the layaway program for people. Okay. So instead of having stores hold items from late August through mid-December while customers make payments until paid in full, shoppers can now take the item home immediately and pay it off with a firm. Unlike layaway purchase made with a firm with a firm that may charge customers interest, duh, and you know that they're going to they're going to, you know, that means they're going to have to check your credit. And it, they talk about on here that customers can have an APR rate on purchases of 10 to 30% depending on their credit. Right. So there's going to be interest charged depending on your credit. Well, the reason that people have bad credit, that's why they're doing the layaway plan. They can't afford that. And not all customers are going to be eligible to use a firm because of their pre-qualification status. Wow. And purchases ranging from $144 to $2,000. And that excludes items like alcohol, groceries, and food, personal care products, pet supplies. Yeah, that was going to be part of the, that, that was going to be excluded in the layaway program as well, I guess. Um, just amazing that they're going to get rid of this uh, layaway program. And that's, that's, a, that's a big deal for people. And that's, I don't think that's a good move. That is not a good customer move. It does not a good look. For Walmart, not one little bit. Amazon Prime is going to go ahead and start charging a delivery fee for Whole Foods deliveries. Yeah, we were letting you get that for free for a while, but no, no more. It's uh, every order that's placed on Amazon Prime is going to include a nine ninety five delivery charge. That's going to start at the end of October. Okay, yeah, that uh, that free perk that uh, usually came with paying Prime members who already pay the, you know the. The Prime membership, yeah, it's uh, not for the Whole Foods thing anymore. Nah, it's uh, the Prime benefits keep getting diluted every year, and we just need to rethink this whole thing. <laughs> okay, all right. So, I mean, if you have food delivered two or three times a month, that's us jumping the fees. That's paying some extra money. So, okay, Jeff, I know you want to pay for your space program but uh you know maybe there might be another way but you know whatever uh, i see a big story on costco talking about uh, renting three container ships and several thousand containers to shield itself from supply chain delays and rising costs which i guess is okay they talked about how it's renting its own container ships to import products from asia u.s and canada and it wants to sidestep the global shipping crisis and shield itself from shortages and rising costs. It's also renting several thousand containers. Uh, isn't that called a warehouse? I'm a little, I'm a little perplexed why that is such a big deal. I mean, okay, so they're renting a container ship. All right. So that means it's their ship, I guess, and not belonging to someone else. I, I thought the backup was getting the ships into port. It wasn't whether to have the ships. It was the backup was getting the ships to port and then getting 
the delivery from the port to the stores or the warehouses and then the warehouses to the store, right? It was that whole chain of delivery. It wasn't having the ships. The ships are waiting out there with stuff. I'm I'm not quite sure I understand why this is a bonus for them. I mean, I you know, I get it. I guess it's not a bad thing. Of course, you want your own merchandise on your ships. But how does having your own container ship make it better? I, I don't know. I'd have to have that one explained to me a little bit more because, you know, once you get the merchandise, you're the most important part of that process is getting it from the ship to your warehouse. Once it's there, then you are able to deliver it to stores, you know, as well as you can. Right. I mean, you could have, you know, obviously it could be slow because you need drivers and delivery people, but you're still, it's still your property. While this is still your property on the ship, it's not, I mean, it's got to come into port. Right. I it's really not real sure I understand. And I know the government doesn't understand. I mean, when we have our White House spokesman saying that it's unfair and absurd that companies would raise costs for consumers due to high taxes, you're being lied to. And I don't know that you're being lied to. There's no way that they can believe that. There's no way that anyone in their right mind believes that companies are going to get charged higher taxes and not pay those, have those costs passed on to you, the consumer. It's just, that's unfair and absurd. It's not the other way around. But in today's world, I guess we're It's the other way around. Okay, you got me. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. So we talked a little bit yesterday about the Moon uh, Hotel in Vegas that they're proposing and they're saying that it would be, you know, over $5 billion. And I was saying, no way that it, that makes $5 billion. That, that's a, that's an underestimate. You know way you get that done for less than, you know, at, at least $8 billion, maybe $10 billion. Well, if nothing else proves that point, today we see a story where Blackstone has reached an agreement to sell the Cosmopolitan Casino and Hotel on the Vegas Strip for $5.65 billion. <laughs> okay. Uh, they bought it uh, seven years ago for $1.8 billion. They spent an additional half a billion on upgrades. And they renovated the nearly 3,000 guest rooms. They built some luxury suites and they added some new restaurants and bars. So the total profits for the sale would be about $4.1 billion, including cash flow from the property's operations. 
So the company made back nearly 10 times the amount of equity it had invested in the Cosmopolitan. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Now there's the deal separates ownership of the property from the hotel and casino operations, which is being sold to MGM Resorts International for $1.625 billion, partnership that includes a Blackstone Real Estate Investment Trust is acquiring the property for about $4 billion weight. I'm going to read that right. The deal separates ownership of the property from the hotel and casino operations, which are being sold to MGM Resorts International for $1.625 billion. So the partnership that includes a Blackstone Real Estate Investment Trust is acquiring the property for about $4 billion. So they're buying it, Blackstone, Blackstone Inc. is selling it to MGM, the hotel and casino, and then Blackstone Real Estate Investment Trust is buying the property. Isn't that just selling it to yourself? The buyer's group also includes Stone Peak Partners, infrastructure-focused investment company, the Chernig Family Trust, a Las Vegas-based family office for the founders of the Panda Restaurant Group. Deal marks the latest in a flurry of real estate sales activities on the Vegas Strip as the casino operators look to raise cash for growing operations like sports betting and entertainment by selling their real estate. Interesting. That's interesting. Is there a phone number somebody could call? Is there an interesting... In August, in August, real estate owner Vissi Properties agreed to buy MGM Growth Properties in a deal that was $17.2 billion, including debt. MGM Resorts previously spun off MGM Growth Properties, still controls uh, rate, R-E-I-T, whose Las Vegas properties include Mandalay Bay, Luxor, MGM Grand, Las Vegas won't be long before they're owned by, well, right now, I mean, it looks like they're owned by two or three of the same people. Vegas Sands Corporation agreed to sell its Vegas properties to Apollo Global Management, which is a real estate investment trust for $6.25 billion. I think it feels like we're just moving money around to the same people. And they're saying, yep, this place owns it now, but we're just moving it around and the price keeps going up and we're making more money for each one of these groups as we're just moving it back and forth for the same people. Those rich bastards. (laughs) How dare they? It's not going to matter anyway. It's not going to be any water. They can make all the deals they want in Vegas, man, until they come up with some way to pump that city with some water. The drought is going to, that city is going to go bye-bye. Unless they can do something about the water. And that's going to happen to a number of places around this country very, very soon. I'm talking about climate change, which, you know, oh my gosh, is absolutely something we need to look into. I'm just talking about how the drought is affecting those areas. Yeah, there's plenty of places that have water. But if you don't have it, that's an issue. You can quote me on that. There's plenty of places that have water. But if you don't have it, that's an issue. Pretty sure that holds true with a lot of things. 
Yep, because here's another story that looks to do the same thing. CAA and ICM Partners are joining forces in a landmark agency merger that reflects the larger consolidation in an entertainment landscape. If the deal is approved, it would mark uh, that shift in the Hollywood agency landscaping, reducing the big four agencies to the big three with WME, UTA, and CAAs. Those are going to be the largest competitors. So, yay! It's just going to be one big, happy, happy family. And as long as we're talking about coming together and just making big mafias everywhere, let's talk about the airline industry, shall we? Delta wants other airlines to share no-fly lists of unruly passengers. So if you got upset at one airline, you didn't think you were going to be able to fly on another one, did you? <laughs> that would just be stupid. Oh, yeah. So the FAA says unruly passenger incidents have dropped sharply since earlier this year, but the rate is still too high. Yeah, it's dropped sharply, but it's still too high. We we can't be expected. We've got to know what's going on. One key lawmaker says airports should ban go uh, to go alcohol cups. Uh, maybe they should ban uh, alcohol altogether at uh, the airport. They can't even get a drink on the airplanes anymore. Uh, they do, I think... I think if you're in business class, you can still get something to drink and maybe some pretzels or something. But if you're back with the unwashed masses in the back, you're not getting anything. All right. You're supposed to come on. You're supposed to look at the people in first class eating their pretzels and having their warm coffee before the flight takes off. And you just keep moving. Don't even side eye me when you walk by. And then you just keep going back there with the unwashed and shut your mouth. And make sure you're wearing your mask. (laughs) And don't you complain about a single freaking thing. I will roll this plane back up. I will roll it back up and we will kick your ass off of here. Okay. So that's just amazing to me. So now we want to have the entire airline mafia uh, lined up and rode up. So if you, if you got upset at, something and got thrown off a plane and you're on a no-fly list for united delta wants to say oh yeah no ooh, yeah sorry no we don't want you flying on our airline either so good luck well, that's coming that is coming and we also know now that uh, pilots and i mean every every position now is under fire because of the vaccine mandates, right? We hear from pilots saying that vaccine mandates could uh, just foil any of your holiday travel plans because there won't be, there might be planes scheduled, but nobody's going to be around to fly them. And and so, okay. And I mean, are we going to call in the military to do that too? I mean, New York is calling in the military to work in hospitals. Uh, because the if you're not getting the vaccine, you're going to be fired. We love you. Shoe frontline workers, we love you. Oh, you're not getting vaccinated? Yeah, we don't love you. Get out. Go beg on the streets. We're going to bring in the military to work at the hospital. Oh, okay. I mean, we've got hospitals saying, look, we could help, but we're not going to have any workers because we don't have any. They're not going to get vaccinated. They're not going to get the vaccine and we're going to have to, we're going to fire you. 
So, okay. Um, great. I think, I think if I'm a medical worker, I think I start my own uh, medical care, maybe not even a facility. You could just do it online and come to the home, right? Um, do I, if I pay less for a doc and a nurse to come to my house and they're not vaccinated, do I care? I don't. Uh, personally, no, I don't. Uh, it's okay. Uh, I think that's going to be coming soon. Just a thought from chewing the fat. Uh, other companies too. I mean, maybe these pilots could start their own airline. I mean, the whole thing could just be under the you know, unvaxxed and we just divide us even more. And so if you're vaccinated and you want to fly on the unvaxxed airplane, that's okay. Uh, we'll take your money. And I'm speaking if it was, I had anything to do with it because I don't. But, uh, you know, if you're, because if the vaccinated don't want anything to do with the unvaccinated, but the unvaccinated will definitely deal with other unvaccinated and the vaccinated. That's going to be your new America, right? The unvaxxed and the vaccinated can go off on their own until they go broke and realize that, oh, maybe we should go ahead and do business with the unvaccinated. What do you think? and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.